rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So we're finally in the Scully has cancer arc, and I'm actually very happy and excited about this, um, which sounds terrible to say, but uh, I think this is a really extraordinarily interesting direction for the mythology to go into because it's much fresher than anything we'd seen. Yeah, certainly. And I was thinking about it a lot in... in, in watching never again a momentum War yeah. because never again is very much an episode that relies on you having the context that scully knows she has cancer and just hasn't dealt with that fact yet i mean never yeah. again is scully going on is is the scully going off the rails episode because yeah. she thinks she you know she knows she has cancer and she's she's not ready to deal with it and for me, like all the problems we had with Tunguska and Terma and, and some of the mythology episodes before that, I think are very, very uh the the problems are solved with this storyline because yeah. it makes it personal. The issue with a lot of the mythology episodes is that they're just these fun house rides that have no real connection to the emotional core of our characters that we love, and this is very much the opposite of yeah. that. But, you know, let's leave that aside for a few minutes because we do need to deal with Never Again, which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Scully's cancer, but it does. I, it does in the sense that, I mean, this is, as you said, Scully going off the rails. This is Scully knowing that she is in a very bad spot, not ready to go to the doctor yet, not ready to consciously deal with this, but reevaluating everything about her life deciding it sucks and going crazy and you know let's let's face it scully's going crazy is not that ridiculous she gets a tattoo and hooks up with the dude but for scully for this character it's a very troubling episode because you know she is acting very self-destructively because she knows that there is an outside force that is about to destroy her and it's a very I don't know. This was a it's a disturbing episode uh in a lot of ways. It's one where the supernatural elements if there even are any are almost irrelevant to the episode where the real case of the episode is just something that is a framing device for Scully in this bad situation. Um and I really like that. Again, this is another episode that questions a lot of our assumptions about the X-Files that we've had about Scully and Mulder's relationship. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that this is the episode that questions a lot of that because Scully is questioning it. And Memento Mori is the episode where Scully has come to terms with it. Yeah. Because this is really a two-parter without the structure of a two-parter. And I I love Never Again. I, I think that yeah. I would probably put this in a, in a top 10, a personal top 10 for the X-Files. I, I just think it's a, a fantastic episode. And I think it's also the best episode that, that uh, you know, uh, James Morgan and, and Glenn Wong ever wrote. Mm. Like, it's, it's really good. Um, there's nothing off about it at all. That, that wasn't intentional, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly it is an off episode, but it, it, it it's meant to be. But... What I think is so interesting about it is, and, and again, I mean, there's a couple things here that I kind of have to point out. Number one, of course, is that Jodie Foster is the voice yes. of the tattoo. <laughs> um, this is the beginning of the X-Files stunt casting. It will get very blatant very quickly. Okay. Uh, this is the show when it was becoming a very popular hit, and they were able to get big-name yeah. actors to do things like this. 
And, you know, Jodie Foster in 1997 was about as big as it got. I mean, pe- I think people forget how big of an actor she was. This is um, roughly around the time of Contact, I believe, right? It was. Yeah, Contact actually came out, the, I think, the same yeah. year that this episode was aired, 1997. So, so yes. Um, uh, and it's funny also that they get Jodie Foster to play a role where she doesn't appear on screen at all either. I mean, that that's a funny thing to get an actress to do. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that really shows to, to what degree the show had some cachet, because I don't think Jodie yeah. Foster would have done that in season two. Yes, yes. But what is interesting to me about this episode is is really Scully is making two fundamental choices here. She is both questioning her decision to sideline her personal life to devote herself to this insane quest that Mulder is on, mm-hmm. and she is also questioning whether or not that was the right thing to do, which seems like the same thing, but it's not right. Because I remember we talked about this where, you know, early on in the X files, they did experiment with showing the personal lives of Mulder and Scully. And that was quickly jettisoned. Like, you know, Scully was going to like children's birthday parties and going on dates and stuff like that. And they were just like, this doesn't work. We don't want to see this. This is not what the show is. But they made it explicit, right? Like Scully was like, you know what? I'm devoting myself to this. I don't really want to. Um, yeah. I don't have time for this. This is not where I want to be in my life. I, I have this job that I love. And so I'm going to focus on that. And now that Scully knows she has cancer, but but hasn't dealt with that fact yeah. yet. You know, she's really looking around at her person at her her professional life which has also become her personal life right because Mulder is her confidant her best friend you know there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in this relationship and she's very vulnerable right now she's very uh uh hurt in a certain sense and I mean I I love the line why don't I have a desk yeah so perfectly encapsulates both the ways in which Mulder takes Scully for granted and the ways in which Scully lets her lets him do that. Yeah, I mean, this is a relationship that has calcified in a particular way. I mean, at what point would, would it have been appropriate for Scully to have gotten a desk? Like, right at, at the first few episodes of season one, she's not expecting this to be the rest of her life, right? So, okay, if she's just kind of sitting in a chair and if Mulder is taking the lead, like, that's fine. She's just kind of there to observe. As things gradual, as she gradually becomes more and more invested into this, I mean, that this happens in every relationship, right? Like, you have, you have a tenor of the relationship and it's something you just kind of fall into and you don't, and a lot of people don't question it and you don't always you know, criticize it because it is comfortable. And then something happens to make you realize, no, this isn't exactly what I want. This isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm actually, you know, again, the entire time we've been saying Mulder and Scully are equals. And I think if, you know, at the beginning of season four, you had asked both of them that they would say, oh yeah, no, we are completely on the same page. We are, you know, we've achieved parity and, you know, and all of that is happening. And now, Scully is at a point where she's questioning it and realizing, no, that's not actually the case. I don't even have a desk. You know, it says if she, she and she and we are realizing she does not have a desk at the same kind of exact moment. Yeah, exactly. Because no one. I mean, did you ever think about that? No, no. 
Right. But it's interesting because can you picture Mulder and Scully both having a desk down there? Can you picture Scully sitting down there and having this be her, her the place where she lives? You know, that office feels like yeah. Mulder's, Mulder's lair in a certain sense. It says Special Agent Fox Mulder on the door. He yeah. has one desk down there. He kind of vaguely waves at a dark corner where there's like a bunch of files. And he says, I always assumed that was your area. And- yeah, but I mean... I've always assumed that she had a lab, you know, or like she does, you know, some people don't have desks. I don't have a desk in my in my work. You know, some people just don't have desks and it's not really a thing because she's going, you know, they are on the road so much that it doesn't really matter. But think about it. She does have paperwork she has to deal. We just see her doing that or in, in her apartment. We, you know, that has apparently been a choice of convenience for her. Yeah, because like that's the thing is like, can you? I cannot picture. I fundamentally cannot picture yeah. Scully having a desk down there. It doesn't feel like the place where she belongs. Like she does always. It's on some level feel like a visitor in Malter's world. And as invested as she personally mm-hmm. is in this, I don't even know what to call it. In this quest, I guess of Malter's, on a fundamental level, it's always going to mean more to him than it is to her. And I think that she has she has bought into this quest because she loves Mulder. And I don't mean she loves Mulder in a romantic yeah, 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 yeah. way. I just think that they, they love each other and they, they respect yeah. each other and they have a lot of strong feelings for each other. But I can't really picture her living in this environment in the same way that Mulder can. And it just, you know, once it's questioned, and this is the brilliance of this episode, is that it lays it out and it just... It just says it. I mean, I do always admire the X-Files for 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 being able to make the subtext text and just being able yeah. to lay the cards on the table in a very blatant fashion in a similar way to a few weeks ago in Paper Hearts when Mulder asked the question that, you know, I don't think anyone ever thought he would ask. You know, did you ever actually believe that my sister yeah. was abducted by aliens? You know? And this is a similar kind of thing like this, you know, in a certain sense, Scully saying, why don't I have a desk is her. You never actually believed my sister was abducted by aliens moment. Yeah. I mean, there is a a very strong ambivalence in Scully where Scully has shown herself as somebody who is willing to follow where she's being led. That is part of her faith thing, right? Like that episode um uh, what revelations was it called? Uh, where you know she says like, "Oh, I I hear God speaking, but other people aren't listening." You know, she if she hasn't chosen a quest, this is the quest that she's been given, and she is willing to follow it because somebody needs to do it, and she is put in this position, and she is trusting in fate and all of that, and there is a part of her that is very comfortable with that, that has that has accepted that. Another part of her is feeling like, but I didn't actively choose anything. You know, I joined the FBI and then I suddenly drifted into this position and here's what I am. You know, how do X-Files episodes begin? Mulder says, oh, you know, somebody's been murdered and it's mysterious. Let's go. And she follows him. He's the one who is, you know, coming up with most of the cases. And if he were her boss, that would be one thing, but he's not. They are supposedly partners. 
You know, she is somebody who, okay, well, Mulder's going to do, you know, again, this is the relationship they've drifted into. Mulder, Mulder comes up with a case. They go and solve it together. Um, they use their skills evenly. They, she is able, you know, they rescue each other at the best of times. And, you know, all of that's fine. But at the same time, they are supposed to be both the two members of the X-Files. Why isn't she coming up with cases? Right. I think that's certainly the case. Yes. And I, you know, there's a couple times that she's done that, of course, but for the most part, it is very directed by Mulder. And, you know, I think that's also the most interesting part of it. You know, as you say, Mulder is not her supervisor. And she even says that, you know, she's like, are you ordering me around? Like, I'll do what I want, you know, and I think to a certain degree, like the show has always had a uh, uh, an uncomfortable relationship with Mulder, I think, in some respects. You know, I think that Darren Morgan, for instance, doesn't like Mulder very much. Yeah. And I think that Darren Morgan's pr- portrayal of Mulder, especially in an episode like Humbug, yeah. was all about deflating the image of Mulder. And I think that this episode also kind of understands that in a lot of ways, like Mulder is a good guy. I don't think he's... Yeah a bad guy. I think the show likes him. And I think that Scully is right to be in this relationship with Mulder, but he is a little self-centered. Sometimes he is a little blind sometimes to the needs of those around him. And it's kind of a nuanced view of Mulder's privilege in a way, right? Like he is not, you know, he's not a rich asshole who is, you know, oppressing everybody. You know, he is on the side of justice. He is on the side of the oppressed. But at the same time, he is a white male government agent in a suit. Right. And and that's why Never Again is so great, because it asks the question and then it sidelines Mulder for most of the episode and sends Scully off to be the protagonist of her own episode and it's you know that's what's so great about it is like she she goes to philadelphia because of course she's going to go to philadelphia because she always does what she's supposed to do she is a very diligent fbi agent and And almost you know she doesn't all have anything else to do right like if it's it's either go to philadelphia or sit at home work on paperwork and think about the fact that she probably has cancer Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Like, she hasn't told... I mean, part of her her attitude in this episode, of course, and I'm not saying that she's not right to have this attitude, but yes, part of the subtext of this entire episode is that Scully has cancer, she hasn't told Mulder yet, and so she is trying desperately to distract herself in any way, shape, or form possible. At first, she is distracting her. I think a lot of it, too, is like, to me, I read the beginning of this episode as Scully is in a very precarious situation. Scully is very, very worried about her health. Scully does not want to think about it. And here is Mulder abandoning her at the time that she needs him the most, even though she hasn't told him what's happening yet. And I think she feels very put out by that. And Yeah. There is a amount of all right, if I die within the next year, what did I die as? The assistant to somebody whose quest I don't really believe in, and I didn't even have a fucking desk to sit in. Like that that is her you know, th- that is going to be her legacy if she dies of cancer at this moment. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, the other thing, too, about it is that, like, that's why Ed Juris is so interesting, because, you know, here is a character who, in a lot of ways, is kind of in a similar place as mm. Scully. You know, he's he's very attractive. He's, 
you know, got a good body. Um, but he's also in a dark place. I mean, you know, his his marriage is over. He apparently doesn't see his children anymore. He just lost his job. He uh, has a tattoo that is talking to him, which, you know, is <laughs> never good. And it's a bad situation. And these are two people that are circling each other finding each other in a very particular circumstance i mean i I mean like honestly like if scully had met this guy an episode earlier or an episode later she would not have done anything that she did in this episode yeah this would not be an episode because she wouldn't have paid attention to him and you know he would eventually have gotten caught for his murder of his neighbor and in a way that had nothing to do with her yeah exactly and i think that that's part of it too is like you know, this episode is really interesting because, you know, the entire thing is like, oh, well, he has this tattoo that has this psychotropic, you know, drug or, or psychotropic effect. And as it turns out, of course, that that's kind of bullshit and that it doesn't actually have this effect. And so what's going on here is this guy, you know, because we don't know anything about this guy, really. Yeah. We only see what the episode shows us. We don't know why his marriage ended. We don't know why he doesn't see his children anymore. We don't know why he murdered his neighbor. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Um, But I think that's the point of it. Like, he could just be an undiagnosed schizophrenic. And, you know, let's face it that even though maybe this particular um, dosage would not cause the average person to go on a killing spree, uh, there are plenty of instances of mental illness triggered by psychotropics so you know we there is there is both a medical explanation a psychological explanation and a supernatural explanation for what's going on but it doesn't really matter yeah because that's the thing i mean like the best monster of the week episodes and i don't even know if i would really classify this as one but you know for, for dint of a better term for one of a better term i guess i will you know a lot of times they're they're kind of like ends in and of themselves, but this is definitely not. I mean, part of what's so interesting about this episode in particular is that it's an inversion, a sort of a, a gender inversion, because you know the the men in these episodes are, are not important at all, and and you know Scully is the one who is really driving this forward, and it's it's a little uncomfortable because it makes you realize that the X Files while it is about as woke a show as it could be in the 1990s it's still pretty sexist yeah it is certainly a i mean this is an episode that is aware uh that men perpetrate violence against women this is an episode that does partic- very deliberately make his boss an asian woman i mean this is not you know, co- th- that's not a coincidence. Um, that is not that had to have been a deliberate decision. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that like that is certainly a deliberate decision. I think that there is a real undercurrent. One of the interesting things about the episode that I think you know the actor who played Ed doesn't you know I I don't know what else he's been in, but I think he does a really good job of of portraying through very subtle facial motions exactly uh how much he despises his boss and how much he actually doesn't really like women that much um without ever really telegraphing that or making it obvious yeah and he i mean that that's motivations he ascribes to his tattoo right he says that you know though she hates women at one point but uh this is this is your typical asshole who's been in a bad marriage and has 
transform transmuted his feelings towards his wife, which may be legitimately acrimonious. It may have been a legitimately bad marriage on both sides, uh, has transmuted that into feelings for all women. Um, and you know, this, this tattoo, this idealized figure is the vehicle for which, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, this is the one woman that he feels is right for him. Scully may be, you know, that too, but once she, uh, has agency outside of being there for him, you know, once he realizes she's an FBI agent, as has probably called somebody about this, uh, is when he snaps on her. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I mean, I think, too, like, just the fact of the matter that the tattoo is a woman that is talking to him. I mean, you know, whether or not it's real or not, whether it's sort of a schizophrenic delusion or not, you know, it's never really satisfactorily answered. And it's not even really the point of this episode. But what I think is is, uh, really, really um, well done in this episode is the sound mixing for Jodie Foster's voice because it's a stereo sound mix, um, as a lot of television is, and or at least in the '90s, and it 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 subtly goes back and forth between the left and right audio channels, okay. and it's just very very well done because you don't notice it at first, although you can't really pick, you know you sort of pick up on it, and then you're kind of like, wait, what's happening? And it's it it off it, it's off putting enough that it makes you kind of have this reaction to it, and it it, it makes the the voice feel strange and feel weird and it's a very very interesting choice and i i I love that little detail of the episode as well but at the end of the day though like you know scully has this adventure in philadelphia she she makes a decision that you know again i mean like in a perfect world uh, uh women could do this all the time have one night stands it wouldn't matter so in a perfect world like nothing scully did in this episode is really it's not bad at all yeah she you know, nothing that she did is bad. I think that Scully kind of is a little squicked out by it because this is not what she normally does. But I don't know. The end of the episode like makes it wrap back around to the beginning where she says to Mulder, not everything is about you. I mean, Which is just you know a perfect way to end the episode. I mean, this whole episode is about wrapping around to the beginning, right? Like that's the point of that tattoo that she gets. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, the Ouroboros, yeah. Which, funny enough, I have pretty much that exact tattoo, actually, um, for similar reasons. Uh, I've noticed some cycles in my own life, but so I guess I did find this episode kind of striking in some ways in that which it resonated with my own personal life. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I like that it deals with her, you know, when she has that... You know, when she talks very candidly, like, starting with my father, you know, because we do know what her relationship with her father was like, you know, she has a desire to be around men who are powerful, who are charismatic, who have, you know, who have authority and who can tell her what to do. And that's great for a while. And then she kind of begins to feel restricted by it. So, yeah, you can see why she fell into this relationship with Mulder. Mulder is, again, very charismatic, has a quest, you know, is very directed in life, and for somebody who started life as a doctor and then joined the FBI because of some vague feeling that that would help her help more people, mm-hmm. somebody with that that degree of direction is very attractive to her. But at the same yeah. time, she is enough of her own person, enough of a strong and intelligent person that that's not going to be enough and you know i i 
I hold out hope because I hold out hope that Mulder is going to be able to grow from this. You know, maybe he, you know, he was in as, just as much inertia. As far as he knows, everything with their relationship is fine. Now that she's pointed out the problems, you know, I get the sense he is going to shift his attitude and change. And certainly we will start to see him, how he is dealing with Scully's cancer, which is going to change their relationship somewhat. But, um, it, this is a wake-up call for both of them, recognizing that, you know, we're at this point, and if this is going to continue, we have to change as people, and we have to grow it. Our relationship has to grow. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good place to leave this. Um, the last thing I want to say very briefly, though, is uh, just how wonderful the detail is that the, uh, you know, sacred spiritual place that Mulder goes yes. in Graceland. Oh, of course. For a UFO buff, you would love Elvis. <laughs> it's 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 just yeah i mean come on like it, the x-files is not above a, a, a crass visual gag and huh. that that reveal that Mulder is calling her from graceland with the big glasses on is is just fantastic <laughs> no the, Our, the show is good at comedy uh, yeah it is i mean like that's the thing like i think that's what the x-files started leaning into a lot is is realizing that it could be funny and get away with it and not undercut the very serious nature of episodes like memento mori uh which we will talk about in just a minute but before we do that i just want to take a quick opportunity to remind all of you that this podcast is listener supported there are costs associated with this show they are not substantial but they are there and uh, if you would like to help us out with those, you can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. Okay, let's talk about Memento Mori, which is the first good mythology episode we've had in quite a while. This is the episode I feel the entire show has been leading up to so far. Um, we've mentioned there have been a lot of cancer metaphors here and there uh, that have in a way solidified into giving one of the main characters cancer. Um and I know it's it's one of my favorite metaphors, isn't it? Like, that's something that I talk about a lot. Um, the way that this is using all of the characters in a very good way. We see a lot of uh, the core members of the show, right? Like, there's Scully, there's Mulder, there's the cigarette smoking man, there is Skinner, and there are the lone gunmen. These are kind of the most iconic characters that the show has. Um I yeah. think this this feels like an apex. I mean, this is a very singular episode. This reminded me a lot of the Buffy episode, The Body, in a way, in which the supernatural or whatever elements are used in a way to comment on something that is medical and very real and even more horrifying than the than than the paranormal. Yeah, certainly. I think that's a good comparison. And, and it also, you know, as I said at the top of this episode, makes the mythology very personal yes. and makes it have very real stakes for, for Scully, perhaps yeah. even more real than the stakes for Mulder. Because, you know, the entire reason Mulder got into this is because of the abduction of his sister. And while that is a formative experience, while that was very, very uh, traumatic for him, and while that is really driving him forward, at the end of the day, if he never finds his sister, he's still going to be alive and relatively okay. Whereas... Yeah. Scully has been affected by this mythology, affected by the accident, 
uh, of being assigned to the X-Files in probably the most horrible way she could ever be. I mean, she has, uh, you know, ostensibly terminal cancer and terminal brain cancer. Let's not forget. I mean, for for somebody who's identity is partially based on her intellect uh brain cancer hits in a very different way than uh say lung cancer would is it brain cancer if it's in your sinus though uh it, she specifically says that the uh yeah the fair enough but she does say that the brain the can't the tumor will eventually push into her brain so oh yeah okay yeah sure that makes sense yeah i i think that that's right and and i mean i love the fact of how just passionless she is about it at first. I mean, she's obviously yeah. very affected by it. You can tell when Scully is affected by things. Jillian Anderson does a very good job of very sort of like understatedly selling the emotions of the scene because Scully is very obviously trying to hold it together mm-hmm. by being the professional, you know, FBI doctor. Yeah. And she is using the large technical terms because, you know, brain cancer is scary, but calling this a whatever it is, you know, oh, that's, you know, there are levels removed from that. She can look at an x-ray with detachment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's able to, to do that because of her training. But what I think is so, what I think is so interesting about this, and I, I kind of want to veer away from talking about the actual episode for, for just a second, because... Sure. This was a mis- like this was a mistake. Like this was not intentional at all. Like the only reason why this plot line is happening is because Jillian Anderson got pregnant. And yes, they had to figure out a way to get rid of her for a couple episodes while she went off and had her baby. And this is how they did it. They had her get abducted, and now it leads to this, which is so such a wonderful example of the type of improvisational storytelling that this that that television can do i mean we would not have this most likely if that had not happened and it's so great because it so nicely parallels it 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 uses something that was thrust upon them from circumstances that they had no control over to do something extremely extremely interesting resonant with the themes of the series paralleling Mulder's journey through this quest and now you know, Scully is very invested in this because she has terminal cancer, as I said earlier. It, it's it's just a wonderful example of that. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I'm. There is a re, you know, as much as again, I know the mythology plot is itself going to become tumorous as it is going to grow out of the control of Chris Carter and everybody, and it's going to, you know, possibly derail some of the series. Uh, because of its improvisational nature, because it was not tightly controlled, you do get wonderful arcs like this because of this. I mean, that that's the... Again, this is a very experimental series, much more than I had ever realized it would be. And sometimes the experiment fails, but sometimes, as in with this arc, it succeeds marvelously. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is such a, a perfect example of a straight-up X-Files episode. I mean, there's really nothing funny about this episode at all. Um, except for maybe the lone gunman, but it's, you know, it's also like written by committee. There's no reason why this should yeah. ever work. You know, it's got Chris Carter, Frank Spotnitz, John Sheevan and Vince Gilligan all have credits on this episode. So that's like no way it would, it should ever work. Uh, but it does, it works brilliantly. It's played very, very seriously. There's nothing funny about this whatsoever. Um, it's, it's got all of the hallmarks of stuff that shouldn't work. Like if you look at a lot of the X-Files objectively on its face, you're like, why, why does any of this work? You know, it's got all the sort of like 
the the portentous narration that that really just makes no sense i mean you know like i don't even really pay attention to it necessarily like i do no it's for tone and atmosphere more yeah it's for tone and atmosphere it's not really conveying any any verbal information really i mean it kind of is but but not really um you know it's got Mulder doing his elaborate conspiracy things it's got all of the sort of like ridiculousness of the of the mythology episodes with the reveal that here's another set of hybrids it's got the guy again appearing that's killing the guy with the ice pick (laughs) to the back of the head there's a lot of this which is just like what is going on here this is all just very very rote we've seen all this before but for some reason it all works and i think the reason why it works is because we understand what the stakes are we understand what the motivations are we understand why Mulder is doing this like when Mulder is in russia running around i don't know why he's there why is he there there's no stakes we don't understand what he's doing what is his motivation what is his personal goal here but it's very obvious in this episode what his personal goal is you know, there are some degrees of Mulder as White Knight, and while that, you know, has some particular uh, 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 implications, particularly in the age of the internet, Mulder is somebody who doesn't give a shit about his own self, right? Like, this is somebody who is going to, you know, Russian half-cocked into an Air Force base where they're hiding an alien, and he'll probably get shot, you know, for that, but what matters is that he's learned the truth, Um but the things he but he does de- deeply care about Samantha and he does deeply care about Scully and he is somebody who is willing to subsume everything in the interests of doing what he can to protect or save them and you know again as much as Scully has been saving herself a lot the past couple of episodes again they they have remembered that she is a capable and uh, an FBI trained agent um sh- they I don't know. I, I feel like he's he's working to save Scully from cancer in a way that doesn't seem patronizing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I do know what you mean, because he's doing what he can do. You know, he's yeah. he's not a doctor. He's not a medical professional. He, he's he's an FBI agent and he's going to hunt these bastards down and he's going to get them. And in a way that is, you know, just as. Scully's going to go to Philadelphia because, you know, it's either that or think about cancer for for the whole week. Um, you know, Mulder is – his loved one is possibly dying. That is not an easy thing for anybody to do. And it is, you know, everybody who has a loved one who is in the hospital like that needs to – you know, feels the need to do something in order to feel productive, to distract themselves in a way and to not dwell on it. And – if embroiling himself further in the conspiracy is his way of being productive, so be it. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, at the end of the episode, he doesn't really find out much. I mean, he, he gets some answers about the fact that, okay, Scully was apparently not abducted by aliens. Um, she was abducted by the government, and they harvest her her ova because they're making these hybrids for some reason that we still don't quite understand. Uh, so at least that piece of it, I think this episode actually gave us at least a, a one answer as to what exactly mm-hmm. happened to Scully. Uh, and we also know that the Cigarette Smoky Man was involved with it. And, and there are some quite good scenes with the Cigarette Smoky Man and Skinner, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm. But yeah, you're right. Like at the end of the day, Mulder's just doing what Mulder does because that's what he can do. And yeah. I also think that Scully wants him to do that. Like I don't think Scully would want him to mope around the hospital. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and certainly if there's a way that she can 
learn something about what exactly happened, I think she is at the point where she's ready to begin to deal with that. I mean, this is... When she first met with the group uh, and all of the women, she... You know, I, I said, like, it's funny how she doesn't really ask any questions and she just kind of fucks off and, you know, that's it. But she is not ready to deal with the trauma and the consequences of what had happened to her. She's not ready to understand it yet. And now she's, be- you know, again, when when this woman Penny is beginning to talk to her about it and, you know, Scully says, like, I can't hear this right now. Like, it's like with the diagnosis of cancer. She knows it, but she isn't ready to know it yet. I think at the end of the episode, she's ready to begin learning. Yeah, yeah, because it has been a, a, a you know not a not an entirely slow process for for Scully to come to terms with this. I mean, you know, the end of Leonard Betts, where it's it's you know implied more than actually said that that she has cancer, and then the nosebleed at the end of the episode, and then her her experiences and her actions in, in, in Never Again. And then the beginning of this episode where it's obvious that Scully has had her little adventure. She has had her little freak out. She now is, is, is able and willing to confront the reality of the situation. She has been checked out. She has had her tests. And she knows what's up. She, she knows she has a tumor in her sinus. And she knows it's really bad. And what, what is interesting to me about that is also the motivations there for her because she tells Mulder first. I mean, she calls Mulder first and says to him explicitly and tells him that she has not told anyone else yet. And then the second person she tells is Skinner, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's It's interesting to me because, like, she feels closer to the people she works with than she does to her own mother, which I don't think is surprising necessarily, but... Well, that goes with her... interesting. It goes with her not really having a personal life in that way. She has subsumed even family identity to the X-Files. Um, and, you know, in some ways, Scully has had so much pain dealing with her family over the course of the series, the loss of her father and sister. Um, and, you know, my heart breaks for poor Mrs. Scully, who has lost her husband and her daughter, and her other daughter is barely talking to her, doesn't even tell her when she has cancer. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really bad. I mean, that scene is so amazing because, yeah. you know, Scully's mother is, is so obviously hurting and, and the anger comes out because yeah. uh, she is she is hurt. And it, it, it's, you know, I think Scully realizes exactly why her mother is doing that and why oh, yeah. her mother is acting like that. And I think that Scully is just really tired in that moment, frankly. Mm-hmm. But... It is true that I think Scully is realizing because that's kind of what the point of the end of the episode is. I mean, yeah, obviously the show has to go on. Scully is not going to be in the hospital and disappeared for episodes at a time. Although they could have done that. I mean, there's no reason why they could not have done that. I mean, they did shut the X-Files down at the beginning of the second season. That was a paradigm shift. They've done that before. They're going to do it again. And, you know, they could have done it now, but they didn't. Um that's what's so so moving about the end of it, if I can use that word, because, mm. you know, yes, it, it it's convenient that the, the doctor who is the last hope of, of these women is actually hastening their demise as some sort of cover up, I assume. Right. I mean, that's kind of the implication. Yeah. But 
it's it is the case that Scully has decided that well, there's no treatment available right now. And the thing about cancer is like if you don't get treatment, you generally feel fine. I mean, like yeah. cancer is not the kind of thing that is a debilitating disease until it is very, very progressed in its later stages with with you know horrible pain and whatever. I mean, wherever your cancer is is where your symptoms are going to present themselves. But like if you stop the chemotherapy, if you stop the radiation, like that is what is making you feel so sick. So she feels fine. She says she feels fine at the end of the episode. She knows she has cancer. She has this thing that is eating away at her. She has this, you know, foreign invader. Um, you know, one of those beautiful monologues she gives about the whole thing about cancer. Uh, but she decides that she's going to keep working and the way that she's going to fight the cancer is to keep working. It's not to go live with her mother. Yeah, I mean, there, there is, again, I don't know how they're going to get out of this arc exactly, but uh, obviously they know, they knew how to cause the cancer, somebody knows how to cure the cancer, and, you know, that's obviously the cigarette smoking man is going to lead Skinner to that, and the big question is, what is his price for it? Uh, well, maybe but, this is a good opportunity for us to talk about Skinner then, because mm. I think this episode does some really interesting things with Skinner as well. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I loved the bit, you know, it, it was funny when, you know, Mulder is talking to him and he's saying, I'd like to deal. And, you know, Skinner's saying, oh, you know, you, I'm not letting you do that. You know, I had written like he's almost talking about the cigarette smoking man like it's making a deal with the devil. And then... He goes downstairs and he literally calls the cigarette smoking man the devil. And, you know, he's joking about it like they make the subtext text. Um, Skinner is somebody who has sold his soul already in some respects, who already sees himself as damned. And so if he goes further in, you know, that's on him, but he's not going to let Mulder get into that. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about that scene where Mulder goes to Skinner and, and, and asks him to put him in contact with the cigarette smoking man and, and Skinner flat out refuses because you're right, like there is that implication that, that Skinner has already been lost, but also that, that Skinner knows that it's his role to, to protect Mulder and, and, and to protect Scully as well from the, from these people and to protect them from going down a very dangerous road, a very dark road that they cannot get out of and that's a very, very big change. It's a very, you know, I won't say a shift oh. from Skinner. I mean, this is where Skinner has been going ever since he was introduced at the end of the first season. But it's such, I mean, Skinner is such a weird character because he doesn't appear all the time. He appears yeah. more and more, obviously, as the show goes on. He's been appearing more and more. But he's always been a character that I think you know, is, is, is difficult to figure out. I think that you've had difficulty figuring him out sometimes. If you remember when I first saw him, I thought he was very company man, and we are learning the degree to which he's not. He's, you know, if he plays by the book sometimes a little too more than we may want him to, it's because in some ways he doesn't have a choice. He's already paid certain prices. 
Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to is that Skinner has to play by the book sometimes because that's the best way to protect himself and protect Mulder and Scully yeah. and protect his other agents. You know, there's that thing about, well, you can break the rules 10% of the time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, you know, all those kind of cliches, but to a certain degree that are true and that, you know, Skinner is going to play by the book 90 or 95% of the time so that when it is really, really, yeah. really important that he has to throw the rule book out the window he can do it and still keep his job keep his life (laughs) yeah well that too although i don't know that skinner i don't know that skinner cares that much. well i mean like he he, i don't think skinner wants to die but he's like Mulder in the sense that he will sacrifice himself but i think he is slightly more pragmatic than Mulder because he realizes that you know Throwing myself in front of a gun at every opportunity is not going to help people. There are certain times, you know, where, yes, I need to take a hit, and that's what's going to protect people, but he has to choose that moment wisely. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and this is the moment that he chooses. I mean, he chooses to throw himself in yeah. front of that bus by contacting the cigarette smoky man, by having that conversation with him in Mulder's office, that very, very tense conversation, they obviously come to some sort of understanding because at the end of the episode ends with him sitting in Skinner's office. And, you know, we don't know where that's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen with that. But there's at least two separate avenues that there could be a cure or some sort of treatment for her cancer. And, you know, I think that's what's also interesting about it is that, like, I don't think there's much question that this isn't going to be, like, a huge roadblock for the show going forward. I mean, like I said, they're not going to do a season-long arc where Scully is, like, you know, takes FMLA leave and and goes off and gets treated. Like, that's not going to happen. But... I mean, we're halfway through the season. This could be the end of... This could be the season finale, I'm expecting. Sure, sure. And that's the thing. I mean, like, it it could be. And next week, they're going to be off doing a different adventure, and it it, it may or may not get get, uh, uh, mentioned. But it almost doesn't matter. Like, it's it's all Mm -hmm. about character beats and character resonance and emotional, uh, uh, you know, really just strong emotion. And, And that's what it really comes down to. So... I guess the, the the last thing to talk about is so all of the Mufon women are dead. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Betsy Kagopian is dead. She was kind of the driving force of that. Uh, this woman, Penny, obviously was the last one and she died. Uh, what does that represent? Because Scully is becoming increasingly isolated in a lot of ways. Like these women that they think were very important to her, although she may not feel the same way, although yeah. perhaps she has changed that to some degree now that she had some contact with Penny and Penny has died, um, are all gone. You know, her her sister is dead. She doesn't have much of a personal life. She doesn't really seem to have friends. You know, Mulder is still there, but that's about it. I mean, her mother, she's distant from her mother. Like, she's I- not in a good place. But it's weird because I think there is still a the implications of hope within her. Like, just because all of the MUFON women are dead does not mean that she won't figure out what's happening to her. I mean, she has this one line, like, the truth is in me, I need to pursue it. Like, 
She knows what happened to her. She's beginning to remember. You know, Scully at some point is going to go under deep regression hypnosis. Like, I I have been waiting for that moment since the very first episode. And uh, she is going to remember her abduction eventually. Uh, She's not ready for that. She is at the beginning of that, you know, she's in that doorway. She's not quite ready to step through, but she's closer than she ever had been before. The show very much does believe that the truth is exists. The truth is out there and it can be accessed. Right. Because I think, well, there's there's two things there. I think that that number one, of course, is that she does have that that vision or dream or, or remembrance of you know, what was happening to her when she was abducted in the second season. And so I think that's probably the first time she's had a somewhat clear memory of that. Um, So that seems important. And then we'll see where that goes. And then the other thing, too, is that, you know, I'm glad you picked up on the truth is in me line because, you know, it's really, really smart because it's a complete inversion of the the show's tagline. The truth is Mm. out there, you know, because the show has always been like Mulder. The quest is out there. He's got to find the evidence. He's got to find the UFO, the aliens, uncover these conspiracies. And Scully is is the one who is really, really being personally affected her body is being attacked and it's such a nice inversion Mm. of that that now these two characters are really going to have very different aims very different goals yes reasons for continuing this work but i think that's part of the reason why scully commits herself so fully at the end of the episode to working because that's how she knows she's going to figure this out well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes, Never Again or Memento Mori we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Truckabout. We are still talking about Star Trek Voyager's fourth season. This week, we are talking about the episodes Scientific Method and Year of Hell. Tuning in is also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, you can leave us an Apple podcast review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Okay, next week, we're going to be talking about the X-Files episodes, Kadish and Unrequited. Mac, why do you...